Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, my guest today will be known, if not by face, at least by name or by brand to many. Would you like to introduce yourself, Paul? Yeah, um, thanks, Nick. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Um, My name is Paul. I'm the co-founder of SEH Kelly, uh, which is a company that makes menswear. We're based in London. We've been going about 10 years, and our... Our main thing, I suppose, is that we make clothes uh, using only materials sourced in the British Isles. Um, so buttons and cloth and all other components and all the manufacturing is done here. Um, and we're based in Shoreditch in a little workshop and we work with factories and mills all over the British Isles uh, from the very top to the very bottom and uh, everywhere in between. Would you like to talk a bit about how you actually got started doing this? Yeah, um, we started uh, at least 10 years ago. Uh, my co-founder Sarah, um, who can't be on the this pod today, but um, she started the brand ten years ago, having worked um, extensively, really, in a, a few different um, small, usually quite small, uh, fashion companies around London. Her most recent tenure before starting SH Kelly was uh, for a, a tailoring house, well, a couture house, really, on Savile Row, um, and this was about ten years ago. So the house that she worked for. House is just another way of saying company, really. It's just they call them houses. Uh, Went bust. It was the credit crunch. And they were owned by people from Iceland, who I think were at the forefront of the whole uh, global economy crashing. So, yeah, she was made redundant. And she thought, well, I've got a lot of time on my hands now, unfortunately. uh, But I do have a good bunch of contacts and know-how with mills and factories around Britain. Because, you know, more than many uh, companies on Savile Row work with British mills. Um, And so... She started her own thing. I I was there at the same time, really. Um, So she did start it, but I jumped on the bandwagon within a week or two and helped out initially with more technical stuff like website and photography and the words and making lookbooks and things. But swiftly, our our responsibility is intertwined. And now between the two of us, we do a little bit of everything. My own background, uh, I haven't got a fashion background. My background is more... um, it's a background of trying to find something to do that I actually lo- I actually like. So I spent years studying and I've spent years working in retail and years working um, in branding and advertising. Um, but clothing has always been sort of a, a vocation of mine, even when I couldn't earn any money from it. So I've always loved clothing and thought about clothing. Um, so it's it, even though I'm, I'm not of this background, technically speaking or professionally speaking, it's always been my passion. So when Sarah started the brand, did she have some sort of vision about what she wanted to make? Because um, clearly yeah. it's different from what she was doing at Savile Row, I'd imagine. Yeah, it was a it was intentionally intentionally a departure. I remember we used to talk about how she had she she's quite a she she's very much a people person, Sarah, and sort of she likes raconteurs, and she she sort of she's very personal in that way. So when she was made redundant, especially she missed the people that she worked with she missed the old tailors in the basements of Savile Row that you know she used to chat to and I don't know the, the lady in the in the mill in Yorkshire that she's you know she's she's very personal personable and personal in that respect so she missed that and she wanted to work with those people but make more casual everyday stuff and at the same time I was am- amazed as I learned more that all these great mills especially these cashmere mills and these tweed mills they were really uh, the preserve of um, tailoring houses and couture houses. 
there weren't really you didn't really see a work jacket made with um cashmere from a tweed mill in Scotland or, or wherever. You didn't really see that. So I was amazed really that this wasn't happening. I was I loved clothes and I'd always bought quite high-end clothes. Um, but to my knowledge at least, the the skills and the the qualities of British mills just wasn't represented at all in casual clothing or upmarket casual clothing. So I was saying, oh, Jesus, what an opportunity this is. We could work with those guys and use those horn buttons that you'd use for a posh suit and uh, put them on a pair of, I don't know, on a, on a hundred quid shirt. Um, so that was my outlook. So it, it kind of was very much a synergy of my naivety and her passion to do something with what she already knew about. Do you think it was the case that these factories or mills were kind of really just catering for their professional customers mm. and hadn't become sort of name brands like some of the Italian mills? That's true. I mean, historically, in the past 50 years <clears throat> or longer, British, British uh, textile industry has been very, I mean, it, itself been quite slow at, well, bad basically at marketing itself. And it hasn't had good support from the government either. Whereas, yeah, you, you mentioned Italy. If you look at the state of our in, um, textile industries in the 1950s and 60s, they were relatively, well, very similar, very comparable in terms of, the, you know, how much money they made and how numerous the different establishments. And you fast forward now 60, 70 years to today, and Italy is strong and full of businesses, whereas, you know, it's thin, it's very threadbare here now in the UK. Um, for various reasons, um, both internal and I guess an external, but Italy's done a great job at protecting that side of its uh, industry. We've done a woeful job. And this was, yeah, it's like today now there are, um, they are better at marketing themselves and a few of them have become more household names. Well, not, that's an exaggeration. Uh, but, you know, before maybe you just had Harris Tweed would be the one that people might have heard about. I think probably there might be one or two more now. Um, so yeah, it has changed oh. a little bit. Yeah, that's quite quite strange the way um, some companies are happy to sort of operate completely under the radar. Mm. Every time you probably hear some news from them, as if they were closing down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, the other one that sprang to mind is also Fox Brothers, which are doing a great a great job at um, marketing um, and selling to consumers. Um, I don't know. I don't know the financials of it. Maybe it's maybe it's not really worth their time um, to do so. I don't know. Maybe if you're, I mean, I, I suppose if you're making um, a kilometre of cloth for a big fashion house, you're going to think about that more than marketing one metre here, one metre there to other people. I don't know. Probably. Uh, might all sort of add up or yeah. be a synergy effect where it gets more well-known and and the brand of cloth actually becomes a, a good thing in itself. Uh, yeah. I mean, Harris, yeah. Media, of course, is a, a unique and different example, but... Uh, mm -hmm. So if we were to put a label on the S.E.H. Kelly style, hmm. now you're a man of words. Anyone who yeah. visited your website or gets your newsletter knows that yeah. you're a wordy guy. Oh, <laughs> How would you God. put it? Uh, um, well, it's hard to describe yourself, isn't it? I mean, I am. we are the brand in a sense. So if someone asked uh, you, Mr... Um, I don't know how to pronounce your surname in the proper way. Nick Johansson, Johansson. How do you say it in your yeah. native tongue? Johansson. 
yeah, you've got these nice little softer sounds that we can't seem to get our tongues around <laughs> on a consistent basis. Um, you know, how would you describe yourself? You'd probably say, well, I'm a nice person. I don't know. I suppose SH Kelly, uh, if I describe it in a nutshell, we make fairly casual everyday clothing with the ambition of making one good version of every sort of classic uh, everyday item that a man might want to have in his wardrobe. So it's not um it's not high fashion it's not quite everyday fashion either um it's kind of slightly esoteric everyday clothing i suppose that is um you see you see nick i can't do it it's not possible <laughs> if you trawl through our website of which there's probably tens of thousands of words you'll probably never see a description of what we are or what we do we say on our about page that we endeavor to make an enduring garment so that's we, we try to make a garment which is free from the um uh the vagaries of, of fashion and of uh, 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 uh the, the styles of the day we try to make things that are classic that will look as good in and be as relevant in 10 years as they are today or would have been 10 years ago um and we take elements of, of tailoring we take elements of streetwear we take elements of workwear um of traditional i don't know not costume but very old-fashioned clothing and we meld it all together in a way that we hope is functional and enjoyable and a little bit surprising and, and hopefully uh different that wasn't really a nutshell yeah well um, that was a very uh, a big nut a good sum good summary yes <laughs> <laughs> I suspect many would sort of lump you in with the slow fashion um, that is sort of gaining traction now, but I think that might not be quite right either. I don't know. I honestly don't know what that is, to be honest. Is it, what is that? <laughs> possibly, yeah, possibly. I mean, we've. I think over the years, we've probably been lumped with a few different things. Uh, when we started, we would have been lumped with heritage wear, maybe to, more, to a greater extent. And maybe our style back then was a bit more utilitarian. Um, certainly the way we go about things is quite slow in a way. I, I, again, I don't really know what that means, but we try to make things in a, a fairly honest and transparent way. Um, and we don't adhere to the calendar of fashion so much. Um, and like I said, we try and make things that will endure in the sense that they're relatively timeless and won't be dated in a year. I think you, you share a lot with what the so-called slow fashion movement uh, uh, really are about but yeah. slow fashion in itself is a very poor name yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, the only, I mean, I no, I don't know much about slow fashion, so I'll stop there. I'll bite my tongue. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think authentic or heritage uh, yeah. Yeah, is, is a much better word because yeah. it's uh, quality, timeless, or out of time clothing, really. I mean, it's what clothing, yeah, it's, it, it's not, oh, I'll stop. I'm going to repeat myself. Like I said, it's, it's not high fashion. And it's not quite everyday fashion either. It's something sort of in the middle uh, that we, we strive to make in a, a, a well-made way, really. But hopefully it's the sort of thing of some of our coats, for instance, I'd hope if they were put alongside some other coats in a vintage shop with, from with, alongside coats from 50 years ago, made of tweed, maybe, they wouldn't really stand out, I hope. Um, so fairly classic in that regard. It just came to mind that uh, I think if you're wearing S.H. Kelly, you might kind of feel like Colin Firth. Yeah. How you imagine he feels. 
<laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's very hard. I mean, like I said, the brand is very personal. There's not many layers really between us and what you see on the website and what goes through our brains. Um, so there's no brand profile as such. We are just what we are. Um, and it just as it's hard to describe yourself, I'd hope, unless you've got a, a, a sort of a very uh, prominent ego, it's hard for us to talk about it. Yeah. Now, just being the two of you, mm. or as I, as I understand, three of you mm. now, if you count <laughs> the child labourer. Um, <laughs> yeah. How is it? making stuff in the uk i mean there's been a big movement of late mm. about uh, buying british made stuff uh. and I've, I've talked to some who have had good experiences doing that and uh. then there's people like you have been doing it sort of 10 or 11 years now mm. and it's all you do mm. how does that work it works really well it always has worked really well um it's it's a completely seamless perfect fit with how we are as people and um the, the scale of our operations, um, the, the mills and the factories that we work with, they've always been really accommodating. They've always worked to a speed that suits us. The factories that we work with have always been happy to work on the scale that we've worked to. Um, and as we've grown over the years, you know, we they've been accommodating. It's worked perfectly. And a lot of the factories that we work with are quite local to where we live and where our workshop is. So again, it's a seamless fit in that respect too. So I mean, such that I, I can't actually figure out why you'd really want to do it any other way i mean i suppose the scale isn't very if you have big if you make lots of things then you're probably better served going to somewhere else in europe or further afield because that's we're not we're not uh we don't have many factories in this country that can make to a great 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 scale of, of uh, thousands of units per week but other than that if you're a smaller brand and you're based in this country God, it makes absolute sense. It's as natural as going to the corner shop to buy a, 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 a pint of milk. It's just absolutely natural. You, you get you you get on the bus to the factory, you have a chat with them, and you go from there. It's it's just very, always been very natural to me. But we've, I've never known any any difference. So I haven't got any reference point to compare it to. But anything else to me seems a little bit outlandish. Do you think this has anything to do with? Because uh, I don't believe you really do seasons as such. No. And, uh, you sort of launch items when they arrive, not yeah. when you've promised yeah, them. Yeah. We don't we don't set ourselves any deadlines per se. I mean, we have to be sensible in the sense that we want to release our coats in, you know, September and October or even a little bit earlier. So we are, you know, we're conscious of what people want to wear and what, when they want to wear these things. But no, we're not governed in that sense by a, a timeline. So if there's a cloth that we're working on with a mill that is just taking longer and we've we've missed our sort of supposed deadline to get it made on time for the winter then we'll just we'll just hold on to it for another year uh, in that sense so we, yeah we're lucky in that regard uh, but again i mean the the, the the mills and factories of this country aren't any more or less tardy than uh mills elsewhere um, and probably better than a lot um, obviously we're not affected by delays in shipments as much because you know especially in the past year if you're trying to get stuff from China or from Italy, then good luck. Um, so in that sense, um, it's probably a benefit that what, what we've been doing. And I expect with most of your makers, just a bus ride away, you can sort of personally follow. Yeah, up. yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and we've we've we we have a good way of working with mills that are a further away. Um, always really good. Always really good. We've worked with them long enough now that they sort of know well. It's as, like I said, it's as easy as ordering something online, you know. Uh, obviously, if you're develop right now, we're developing uh, some cloth with a couple of different mills for the winter. 
So I'm having back and forth emails with a lady in Scotland um, and she's sending bits and bobs in the post for me to have a look at. Um, I trust in her expertise and her ability to do it in a, an amazing way. Um, so I'm quite hands off in that respect. I let her get on with it. I just say, okay, that's the right color or that's that's the right thickness or that's the right quality and let her get on with it. And then when she's got to the next stage, she sends me more of the cloth and I say, yeah, great, let's go ahead and make it all or let's try maybe making it a bit lighter or can we make it a bit more fluffy? Um, and that can be done by email or by telephone. It's, it's easy peasy really. We've always found it very easy. Um, and again, I suppose, uh, it's easy in, in the sense that because there's just the two of us, we don't have a sort of chain of command. Like I don't have to ask an assistant for, to help me with something or I don't have to report to my boss to ask him to have a look, to have a review meeting or a Zoom call. We just get on with it. When it, when we have a good gut feeling about something, we proceed. I guess there's only so many Bentleys you need to buy. So <sighs> you don't need to have massive <laughs> profits either. Exactly. Exactly. We, I mean, the garage is full now, Nick. Um, and I'll probably need yeah. to sell a few of them uh, if you're interested. I know. Uh, well, no, no, exactly. We're fine as we are. We're not um, in the sense we're not ambitious in that sense. We don't want to grow. We want to get stronger. We want to get better. We want to hopefully earn the respect of more people uh, and intrinsically do do better and, and keep challenging ourselves. But we're not interested in uh, making big numbers. And we're not interested in uh, sort of like opening a shop or any of that sort of stuff it's not we're free from that mercifully so that's fine you mentioned opening a shop because i don't think you actually have any retailers in the uk do you no we um no we don't we used to have retailers in well yeah we on and off we've had retailers in japan um but other than that no we we haven't had any retailers in the uk uh, apart from when we our first sort of year we uh we worked with a, a good shop in in Sheffield called Ideology, but they're they're gone now, sadly. And that was only a brief little fling, anyway. We never really it doesn't really suit us. I think, as I've just described, we the way we like to work is fairly fluid and um, fairly instinctive in that sense. We don't I don't really like making collections. Um, it doesn't come as naturally to us, especially because we like to mm, just pursue little projects here and there, and not do everything in a big block. Uh, with a certain number of coats and a certain number of jackets, we like to try and be more versatile. It just doesn't suit us, so we don't really enjoy that side of it as much. Um, again, also, we, I, li I like to communicate directly with customers. I don't really see the point in having a, a, a layer between me and my customer. If a guy's buying my jackets, I want, you know, it seems better and it seems right and it seems more pure for him to buy it from me than from a, a middleman. This does mean that you're... HQ in uh, Shoreditch mm. must be pretty busy. Could could you talk a bit about your your retail space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I, I mean, you've you've you you visited uh, at least uh, I'd say two or three times. And um, as yeah. you'll know, it's 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 quite hard to find if you don't know uh, where you're going. It's it's down an alleyway off a, a small street in East London, which is actually quite a. Uh, it's the epicenter of the trendy world where it was. So we are in a great location. We're quite hard to find. Uh, we're first in a row of Victorian workshops that were built about 120 years ago. Um, they're all, I don't know how big they are, I'm not very good, but they're about the size of a, a large shed. Uh, ours is split level. So downstairs we have uh, a selection of clothing uh, hanging from the rafters and a few shelves and a few boxes. And a small little changing room which is partitioned off with some hanging uh, cardboard patterns to preserve people's modesty 
and then upstairs is um there's a little ladder to go upstairs to a small mezzanine and that's our office again notionally it's our office because it's a bit of a pigsty and it's also a stock room so that's it yeah it's, it's tiny i think it can store about uh 300 or 400 garments at any one point they come super organized and super tidy so there are limits and then we over the years we've opened it either at weekends only uh, or appointment only for a while also we went for a stage of opening it five or six days a week which was a bit of a, a slog again we don't have any staff so if i'm if me or sarah are here for eight hours a day by ourselves to see customers it means we can't it means we're, we're working with one hand tied behind our back elsewhere it means we can't visit a meal or oversee this or or do websitey things so we always try to find the right balance really and use it the the hours that we have per week to the best uh, to to the be- to, to put them to best use i mean we have what 80 or 100 hours a week to work and if 30 of those are spent in an empty workshop with maybe not many customers because it's a quiet day then you have to ask yourself if it's you're using your time well mm. this must mean that you you really do feel how business is going at the moment yeah, I mean, we're plugged into it. We're in we're, my... because you're replying to the emails, you're wrapping stuff, yeah, you're sending it. Yeah, I mean, um, if you can imagine like a sort of a horrible gothic sci fi situation, a film maybe where I'm, I'm plugged into my own business and there's no, I'm like, I'm plugged into my own matrix. I, I am the business, and the business is me, and there's that's there's not there's not much separation, it's, it's, it's plugged right into my arteries and my uh, neurons. So yeah, it's um yeah we have a very sort of uh, visceral uh, idea of how business is going and the ups and downs. And I mean, you do lose the big picture then because you know every little email that comes in, every sale that comes in, is a little buzz for the uh, your endorphins or however your brain works. Um, but generally speaking, business has been very steady um, the past year and the past five years even, um, which is you know touch wood. Uh, how we want it to be. I remember when I first came to try to find your workshop because it was behind a um, a wooden uh, fence. Or something. Yeah, so you had to find yeah. this sort of portal into it. Well, that was you not just for you. That was that was to keep you out actually. Oh, yeah, that, that was put that morning because um, we had uh, warnings about uh, Norwegians approaching. So I hastily <laughs> cobbled together that. No, yeah, I mean it's crazy over the. I mean it's it's such a shame. These workshops are really uh, they're they're heritage. They're listed buildings. They're, they're, in their own way, they're they're beautiful. And over the years, they've been so mistreated and covered with, like you said, a wooden huge wooden fence. So even someone who lived over the road wouldn't know they were there. Um, and yeah, it's a shame, really. I don't know why they've been so mismanaged. Uh, but they've changed hand. Uh, they changed hands between landlords many times over the years and. It is a shame, um, but yeah, they're very hard to find. There are a few other little businesses there, aren't there? Yeah, um, th- yeah, absolutely. I mean, because there's 16 of them, so at, at any one time, there's probably at least 10 businesses operating, and there's been hairdressers, barbershops, uh, bag makers, uh, just offices, I suppose, like web startups. Uh, there was a company that set up a, a sous vide a catering facility in one of them a great expense a few years ago all sorts all sorts of uh, weird and wonderful businesses um yeah it's good fun uh, we've been here just about the longest now i think you know which makes me feel quite old um but yeah it, it's good there's a, there's a nice little community here now i wanted to loop back to fabrics for a moment 
because fabrics are obviously one of your big interests. Mm. And I don't want to sound silly, but um, it seems to me that you keep coming up with new ones which don't actually have names or previous history. <laughs> Is that right? I don't know. Could you give me an example? <laughs> I'm not sure. Well, I always read your newsletters, and uh, there's there's always you're always well often struggling to describe a fabric mm. because it's part tweed, part gabardine, part yeah, simply cotton linen. Yeah, we're drawn to. I suppose we are drawn to uh, materials that aren't in common use. Uh, sometimes they're materials that are considered too heavy, or too stiff, or too or too rigid to be used for for clothing. So they're usually apparel. Like luggage fabric, uh, not not apparel fabrics, but luggage fabrics. So we use heavy sailcloths and some quite heavy hopsack canvasy type stuff. Um, and yeah, I often, if I have the opportunity to speak to a, a, a mill, like someone that's in charge of the actual weaving process or in, term, in, in charge of designing cloth at the mill, I'll often say to them, you know, have you got any strange things or have you got any, your own strange ideas? Or I've got this lovely corduroy that's made in cotton. Could you... Could you make a woolen version of that? I really like corduroy at the moment. Things like that, really. Or I'll say to a tweed mill, um, you know, could you mix some cotton in with the what? You know, what would happen if you you put some cotton in with your your your, your woolen tweed? I don't know how that would that work. So we're always trying new little things, really. Um, and we we also um, use use um, materials such as heavy linens, which are typically used for jackets. We use those for shirts instead because they, I think they make a really nice heavy shirt. So we're often crossing, um, crossing uh, what do you call it? I don't know. M moving one cloth into another category that previously hasn't been used for, which um, is always a thrill. Really, we're always trying to do that as much as possible. So you have a lot of input yourself on the sort of makeup of the various fabrics. Uh, I, yeah, I mean as much as possible. And as much as is is reasonable for a man of my limited uh, technical expertise, I've got I I've got ideas, Nick. Um, and I try, you know, when we design something, we try to be as upstream in its design as possible. So while it's it's great to design a jacket and then buy a cloth and make it in that cloth, um, it's more satisfying from a design point of view, from a creative point of view, to have had a hand in the design of the cloth as well. And then even better than that would be to have a hand in the uh, the spinning of the yarn. You know, it's, it's, and then even further up than that, to you know, have met each individual sheep and uh, made sure they were the right ones for the task. I mean, it's it's endless, really. And it's really satisfying to have your, your fingers in as many parts of the, the pie as possible. I mean, I love that. I mean, the buttons, you know, maybe we had a long conversation with our button manufacturer a few years ago where I was trying to make them just about two millimeters thicker and give them a little belly on the underside so they just protruded a bit more because I thought that would feel more satisfying for the fingers uh I love all that I love I and they said no that's that we can't do that Paul we're not going to do that um <laughs> I try we just keep trying we keep push, trying to push our own little envelope why would they not even try it oh maybe they did try I'm probably paraphrasing a little bit Nick but I mean the setup of the you know the the tooling to make the button given the, the sort of meager quantities that we use relative to their other customers they probably said oh come on don't be silly um things like that you know um and more often than not i mean luckily they do say you know let's 
yeah, let's try that. Or, no, we can't do that, but I have had an idea to do this instead. Would you like to try that? And I say, yeah, bloody hell, that sounds fantastic. That's much better than my idea. Um, and again, you try to you try to lean into people's expertise. Um, I'm not going to tell a a, a, a a weaver how to how to weave her cloth. You know, have you tried doing it like this instead? I let them do it because you're going to get the best. You know, you got you, a you have to respect someone's profession. And um, there's a reason why you went to them in the first place. It's because they're wonderful at what they do, and they don't need a jumped up fashion designer to try and tell them how to do their jobs. You usually, get the best product that way. I'd imagine, though, that if you've been working with something for years and years and years, it must be nice to be challenged a bit. Mm, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, we we know a few weavers who have in their in their past woven Harris tweed. So they're up in in the Hebrides, and they some of these people who still do even uh, weave the Harris tweed, the company, and they a lot of them say, yeah, I, I always longed, you know, to do my own cloth instead because the Harris tweed, I'd be making, I don't know, a hundred meters of a green tweed every day for a week. And I just thought, oh, I'd love it if I could do my own tartans or my own checks or try weaving with a different fiber instead. So yeah, you do hear that quite a lot. And um, I think they do sometimes long to be challenged, uh, but there's a, there's a balance, isn't there? You don't want to, you, again, like I said, you don't want to tell them how to do their own job. So there's always a sort of sensitivity to it. And uh, you want to, again, you don't want to eradicate their expertise and over override what they're good at. Mm. There are a few uh, independent Harris Tweed weavers, though. I had mm. Becca on the podcast uh, a few episodes back. Mm. Uh, she's great. Yeah. She does her own thing. Yeah, it's something we haven't really uh, explored much. It's almost uh, intimidating the the breadth and depth of the weaving industry up there. Um, and like you said, yeah, there's, 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 there seems to be so many independent ones as well. I mean, often I look at it and think, oh, God, where do you start? Um, but one, you know, we, so we've never used Harris Tweed just because we've never really got around to it. And we've, luckily, we've, we've had lots of other cloths to work with, but we will one day. I, think, I can't wait. I suppose it must be a bit obvious for you. <laughs> yeah, I think I, a little bit, yeah, that's true. There was a... I, I, I am I am sensitive to that. I don't want to use anything. I don't want to, I don't like to do anything or use cloth that's too ubiquitous. Just by nature, I'm quite a, con a contrarian person. I want I want to do something different. And also, you're not going to stand out if you're using the same cloth as everyone else. You're not going to stand out on your own terms. Um, but we'll get around to it one day for sure. Um, it's a long. You know, I've got at least another fifty years. Well, that's optimistic. I've got another thirty years of doing this. Hopefully. <laughs> a long time, yeah. Uh, it, it strikes me after having been a few years sort of quite involved in things that there are so many companies, designers, makers that are basically just making the same stuff as mm. everyone else. Mm. Mm. What do you mean? Same making... style of jackets using the yeah. same fabric. Yeah. And yeah. you can tell True. that I, I remember I spoke to um, David Keat. Uh, of Universal Works many years yeah. ago, and, he, and he'd said, "It's not tricky. It's just fashion. Pick a color." Uh, and that sort of stuck with me because what, that's what so many of these people uh, are doing, They're saying, "Oh, yeah. we need a we need a chore jacket." Uh, yeah, yellow this year. that's oh, that is yeah. I saw <laughs> that's very. I I saw something like that just yesterday, and I thought, "What a shame that this amazing historic brand you've got not me, not us, sorry, 
we're not on amazing historic brands but i did see one i thought oh what a shame they could do so much more interesting stuff and maybe mine their own um their own archives and do something really exciting instead they've made a work jacket which a isn't in keeping with their brand as i know it and what just a wasted opportunity um, you're not going to stand out that way but you know with especially with bigger companies i mean they have to you know i suppose what am i trying to say a lot of them just look at the bottom line and they know that work jackets are going to sell so they do it and uh, that's where that's why they are where they are and also de designers move around i mean the design the head of design at company x will be at company y tomorrow and they'll probably want to do what they were doing at the last company what they know about already what they're comfortable doing and what you know then they know their job's going to be safe if they make a work jacket rather than push out the boat and um, do something more creative i guess i i don't know but i imagine that's how people sometimes think so, so much of that side of the industry is also about making things down to a price whatever drop that pocket that will knock another three pence off it that's not how you work though, is it no um i mean no 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 we, we we have a completely blank slate so when we want to design something we we, we do we make it exactly with the features and the style of construction and uh, all the trimmings that we want, which often isn't a lot. We're, we're not, we're fairly minimal, I suppose, on the scale of things. Uh, but no, we just, we make exactly what we want. And um, it doesn't matter what the, the final price will be, the final cost, I mean, for us. We just want to make the best thing we can possibly design with every sinew of our ability. It's interesting that there's sort of two sides to that. You have one making it down to a cost, and then you have the others making it up to a well, say quality or yeah. design. So add a pocket and better zips and more buttons. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, I mean, often I think the designer, the port, the designer in a company will make you know their their dream jacket and get a sample made, and then their boss will see how much it costs to make, and they'll say, okay, now go back and take twenty pounds off the price, uh, the cost, please. And so the, yeah, they'll do the things like you said, maybe lose a pocket or. I don't know. I don't make it. Uh, I can't think. Make it fully lined and not half lined, or, or whatever it will be to try and save costs. Yeah, yeah. What's the best thing you ever made? Ah. Uh, uh, what's what's the piece from, piece from your past that you you always wear yourself? Oh right. Um, I think, or, or even the piece that sold the best. Oh, I don't know, Nick. At all. I mean, I'm not 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 to sound trite but they're all like all the pieces in our collection are all like children to me in a way um they all get the i try, I try and give them all an equal amount of attention uh, and care and um effort goes into them i'm proud of the, our trench coat um and i'm proud of our bigger coats i think are probably the things about which i'm most proud um because i think they're i think they're, they're good and they're strong and they're well made and they're classic um, and each one has its own unique facets, which set it apart from other uh, other coats of the same uh, genre. Um, so probably our trench coat would be the one about um, I'm most, of which I'm most proud. Um, I think that's the first big coat that we made. Um, and it's, I mean, eight years later, we haven't changed its design. We haven't changed anything about it. So that's really, I mean, eight years is in a way a blink of an eye in some respects, but for a company of our age, it's, it's quite a long time. And I'm, I'm really proud of the trench coat. I think it's really good and it suits a lot of different people. Uh, it's got interesting features uh, and it lends itself to lots of different cloths. Um, it's not a bestseller for us. 
I mean, you know, I, I suppose fairly obviously bestsellers for us are things like shirts. And I, I can be equally as proud of our shirt in a way because it's exactly what we want it to be. And it, it's a good shirt and it fits a lot of different people. Um, and it's solid and strong. And as much thought as I can manage has gone into it. No stone has been left unturned in the design of that shirt. So I'm, I'm happy to be proud of all of them, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, the trench coat's a, a strong one. It's strange how things keep coming back to uh, to jackets or coats. Mm. I, I find myself very drawn to them and sort of accumulate them. Mm. But I don't say, especially the last year or so, I don't, haven't really worn that many because I haven't been mm. out much. So I've really mm. learned to appreciate a pair of trousers that fit really mm. well. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I can never really take my mind off uh, jackets, but in the past. Yeah, it's funny how your attention shifts, isn't it? We've we've put a, mo a quite a lot of effort in the past one or two years into more mid-layer type things. So by mid-layer, I, I mean things that aren't shirts and aren't jackets, but are over-shirty type stuff or pop-over shirts or smocks. I've been, I've been trying to put more effort into that side because we did it for, or well, we still are, quite jacket and coat heavy just by virtue of our own uh, personal enjoyment in designing jackets and coats but we put more into mid layers which are things you can sort of wear more casually uh and a bit more easily around the house or in the garden but in their own way are also you know exciting creative opportunities to do something different so it's been quite fun actually we, we almost designed about three or maybe four mid layers always almost as a piece so i set them all out and i, I, I assigned each of them its own style of shoulder, its own collar, and its own way of fastening, its own length, and its own style of finishing to make them all interesting in their own right. It's been quite fun, actually. But that's been about a two-year thing, as well as doing other stuff. It's interesting you mentioned the smocks, because I think you were a bit ahead of the curve there, because right now, it seems like everyone are into the smocks. Mm. I, um, yeah, they do, they're having a bit of a moment, aren't they? We try to make one that's... Um, you get those fisherman style smocks with the sort of the, the little collars, the sort of Cornish style, which we took uh, as a sort of reference point. But we, we took the collar off and made it just like a crew neck to make it a bit more wearable and a bit less uh, traditional looking. Um, but yeah, they do, don't know. They, they, you see them about a little bit. I don't know. I don't know why. They're quite, they're quite handy, aren't they? I don't know. I mean, I, I think I always think they look good. Hmm. But then you tried to take them on and off. <laughs> it's an awful idea. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. I couldn't agree more. I struggle with that, and I I don't wear them personally because of that. Especially if you uh, forget to take your glasses off. Oh God, yeah. Um, they go flying. Well, yeah. For anything that we pull over at the head, whether it's a smock or a popover shirt, first thing is: is this going to be comfortable to pull off and on and on again? Because you know, especially when it's hot, pulling a linen shirt over your head at least once a day, maybe twice a day, maybe three times a day, it is a pain, especially if you're sweaty and the cloth's sticking to you. So we try and make things that are going to be enjoyable, that you're going to look at hanging in your wardrobe in the morning. Think, yeah, I'll pull that on. Not only because it's nice, but also it's just, no, it's not faff. There's no faff. I'm not going to stretch it and it's not going to tear and I can just pull it on without, you know, doing a Houdini act. So all of them have got Quite, yeah, they're quite roomy in the, in the sleeves and roomy in the shoulder and have quite a wide neck just so they're comfortable in that respect. It makes me think of something I occasionally mull over when I'm, my brain is idling. Waistcoats. 
Oh yeah. And how they look uh. best when they're buttoned up. But you have to undo them when you sit down and your body sort of squishes out. Why has no one made a waistcoat with some sort of hidden elasticated feature so you can actually wear it sitting down, buttoned up? <laughs> don't, uh, Nick, don't wish for elastic. Think about what you just said. Just, I know what you mean, though. No, you're right. Yeah, you're that, yeah. It, has to be, it has to be a heritage elastic. I mean, made by some <laughs> weird little guy up in Sheffield with his three sons. <laughs> There will be someone, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, no, there you go. There's a good starting point for a design there. Uh, you can integrate the elastic into the the structure to the body, or you could have it as a side a side fastening. There's all sorts of things you can do. Um, yeah, I don't wear a lot of waistcoats myself. And whenever we've done them in the past, whether we've called them a waistcoat or a vest, uh, they've never sold terribly well. I mean, I always quite like making them and designing them, but they never sell that well. So there's never really, really a focus for our brand. And I don't really wear them myself either. Um, I haven't given them as much thought perhaps as you, uh, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's uh, sort of find our way back to the odd makers and suppliers yeah. you use, yeah, because uh, that must be something that you enjoy the most. About uh, writing, yeah, it's really exciting. Text. It's really exciting. Um, how do you find them? Yeah. Just how you find anything. I mean, desk research. So just simple act of typing something into a computer and, and you know just looking at stuff that way. Or a lot of it's word of mouth. Or you overhear, yeah, you overhear somebody uh, the factory talking about it. Or you've got a chap that just likes to run his mouth and tell you about all the people he knows. And one of the people he mentions is actually of some interest. All sorts of ways, really. Often, especially if we uh, smaller. Uh, mills. I mean, basically, when I say smaller mills, I mean one-person mills or two-person mills, weaving sheds. They they share a lot of knowledge. They're very forthcoming, and they, they seem to have quite a nice little community. So if you get uh, friendly with one of them, they'll tell you about someone uh, um, down the road or on the adjacent island from them, if it's in the Hebrides. It's very natural, really. Uh, yeah, there's obviously fabric textile fairs as well. So uh, every year or twice a year, there's there's at least one fabric show in London, which sometimes I go to and just you keep your ear out and see what's going on. Um, and because we're only small, it's not like we need an abundance of suppliers. I mean, we're, we're quite happy we've just got, if, if at any one time we're working with five or six mills, and that's enough. And, you know, there's no, and again, it's all a sort of natural discovery. We're not in a rush to find new people, but if we do find them, then we'll explore and we'll find out about, we'll, we'll, we'll try and learn more about them. And if, if what they make is applicable to what we, what we're trying to do um, so it's all very natural um, you know if i've got a quiet afternoon i'll punch in a few things on google and see what comes up and goes from there i can sort of get the impression that quite a few of these places might not even have heard of the internet so it might be hard to hide <laughs> that way but, yeah, yeah it has been um in the past i'd say i don't know past five years that has changed a lot i would say especially with instagram everyone's on instagram I think just about every weaver in the country is on Instagram. So that's been great in that, in that respect. Uh, before that, it was trickier. But again, I mean, you know, you don't know what's out there until you find it. I mean, I'm sure there's dozens of little mills and weavers and uh, incredible makers of stuff that I don't know about. And over the next 20 years, I'll, I will find out about them. Or maybe I won't. Um, it's all just very organic in that sense. Now, one of the things you're well known for are the extremely warm wool sweaters <laughs> yeah we are yeah they are they, they do punch above their weight in, in that respect we are because we've done them um 
largely unchanged now for at least eight years yeah they they again that that that's a symptom of or that's an outcome of me saying to a a very experienced professional knitter uh can't we just put twice as much yarn into it and make it really thick uh, no more uh nuance than that really and the first result of that was really good and enjoyable to wear and you know it had that faint whiff of preposterousness that i try and i try and uh put a, uh, we try and put into our clothes so yeah we, we, we it has stuck around um it's quite it's it, it yeah they're, they're good those they're good those sweaters they're they're also machine washable which a lot of people don't know so they're, they're good in all, all manners really they're very warm and it's like it's cold in a lot of places nick it is it is i can <sighs> never sort of find the perfect sweater though that mixes outdoor and indoor yeah yeah most, most things are too warm to wear indoor and then you might have a thick jacket anyway when you're outdoor but uh, well you probably need a hood wouldn't you i suppose uh, a hoodie, not my sweater no well or uh, <laughs> that's the thing i've often thought about making a, a hooded sweater and i've never got very far with it but uh never say never but that's the one thing about that uh heavy crew neck that it lacks i suppose if it starts to rain but other than that yeah it's as good as wearing a coat really it's super thick it's got the pockets and it's moderately it's moderately rainproof anyway because it's 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 woolen so yeah it is and so uh, we have in when we used to work at shops in japan it was it was marketed that that crew neck in the outerwear departments so it would be alongside the jackets and some of the coats it wouldn't be with the knitwear uh which was quite fun it wasn't intentional it wasn't my idea but yeah quite fun do you find it difficult to come up with new things to make no it's it's the opposite i find it difficult to stop thinking it's uh it never ends nick we're always i've always we probably it, uh, we're i'm always about five pieces five items five designs ahead of time so the ideas that are in my head now or that are on paper now they won't materialize the last one of those the fifth one won't materialize probably for another two years um and by which time i'll have another five it, it is it, it never ends i can't help it and that doesn't even include, you know, changing, tweaking or making more substantial changes to existing things. You know, I think sometimes, should we start developing a new jacket or should we go back to the old one, and just make it better and integrate those new ideas into that? You know, there's no point in having an overlap or um, a redundant coat in the collection. If there's another one that's newer and better, why don't we just go back and improve the old one? Because there's a lot of good stuff about that one. So, no, it's not difficult at all. It's the opposite. Um, it never stops. It's a very interesting, uh, very interesting idea to keep tweaking or keep making a good design. I think we have to because um, keep bringing out new stuff or supposedly new stuff. Uh, yeah, we 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 always improve as you know, like anyone. You learn and you learn better ways of doing something, or you you know the style of your maybe the style you start to do your pocket flaps changes a little bit. And me being a sort of completionist or whatever the quite, quite word is, I, I want to go back and make sure all the pocket flaps are like that now. I don't want anything that's different. I don't want any uh, logic, uh, inconsistencies within the collection. So I have to go back and spend two weeks changing all the pocket flaps, which is good work. I love that. It's so satisfying to do that, to make it all a bit, a bit better rather than like take the plunge and start something new, go back and make the old one better. Um, it's just mm. a satisfying in a way. Where do you find you find inspiration? Um, a lot of it comes back to our uh, our sort of 
our ambition or our mission to uh, offer one good version of every conceivable style in a man's a man's wardrobe. Um, and that wardrobe can grow. That wardrobe has been growing now for about eight years or 10 years. Um, Cause you start off thinking, okay, well, we're doing our first collection. Um, we need a shirt and a jacket and some trousers. And then you think, well, wouldn't it be good if there was a slightly lighter weight jacket? So that becomes the overshirt. And then you think, well, you need a raincoat as well. Cause that can go over the jacket. So there you've got your six piece collection. And they think, well, trousers are quite wide. Why don't we do a skinnier leg as well for guys that like a skinnier leg or maybe a trousers um, for a more formal occasion. So you do that, you've got seven pieces, then you add knitwear and you need a cardigan. And it adds up, it goes on. We've got about 40 pieces now in this collection. It's just grown like that, like the branches of a tree. Um, in, in term, so I, right now I, I'm thinking, well, well, I don't know. It's just very organic, Nick, to be honest. It just sort of comes to you. Like I was saying about these mid layers, I was conscious that we didn't have many mid layers in the collection. We had jackets and we had shirts, but not a lot in between. So, you know, you, you walk down the street and you start thinking, well, that guy's wearing a sort of a pullover type shirt. That's quite cool. And, oh, he's wearing like a, a sort of pullover with a Henley neck. That's that's interesting. We could do that. And it just grows organically in your, in your brain. And um, it goes from there. And before you know it, you've got lots and lots and lots of ideas lots of collars lots of pockets lots of tiles of sleeve in your head and you sort of mold them together you sort of build them like lego in your brain and before you know it, you've got five new ideas and they marinate over time and get better in your head and, and when you feel they're really strong and can't get any better and you're sufficiently excited about it to put it into work then you you, you put it into work and you make it a real thing um or you know you, that's how it goes really this it's not like a, mo a flash of inspiration or there's not a moment where I think, oh, everyone's wearing um, a certain style of jacket now. We need to do that. It doesn't really work like that. Um, it comes about organically, or it can come about if I'm walking down the street and I think, oh, no, actually, that's not true. It's very, very, very organic. There's no start and stop to it. It's all grey areas. It just all uh, flows. It's rooted in it being something that can go into a, a, a normal-ish wardrobe for a man. So we wouldn't ever design something that was an invented thing that didn't really have any roots in, in tradition or in men's clothing. So I can't, again, I can't think of any examples. We're not going to design a, I don't know, some, something that has its own name that can't already be pigeonholed. We, if we design a work jacket, it's a work jacket. When, if, it's a, if it's a long coat with a hood, it's a parka. We're not going to design a new thing. If, if if that makes sense, we we like to put a restriction on ourselves in that in that sense, so everything's rooted in uh, in normal normalness. <laughs> I think it is generally hard to come up with something that has never been made before. That's At true. Least something that is yeah. sort of wearable and looks okay. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, we're also sort of restricted. We we put our own limits on things. Lots of well, most brands might have a parker, but they'll have a mountain parker as well and a field parker. And maybe a short parker and a uh, Arctic parker, but we just have our parker, and that's it. We have one parker. Oh, we have bad example. We have two parkers, <laughs> but you know what I'm trying to say. We have one trench coat. I'll move on to another example that fits what I'm trying to say. No, uh, we, but that, we we put our own limits on that. So that's our parker. We're never going to design a, a Arctic parker or another parker. It's going to stay like that um, until. The mountain of evidence is such that we have to give in and say, okay, we need to design a new parker. Um, 
we, we, we put a limit on ourselves. Same with work jackets. We're not going to have a work jacket one and a work jacket two and a work jacket three that are all slightly different. Maybe one has patch pockets, one has uh, uh, sideways pockets. We're not going to do that. It's only going to be one. So that frees up the brain a little bit because I think, oh, well, don't think about work jackets right now, Paul, because you've already got one. Put those ideas in your head to a new style of jacket. So, you know, that, there's, there's certain limits we've imposed on ourselves. But given that you keep making new variants of the same things, mm. which means that there may might at this point be, say, 14 different work jackets or nine mm. different parties, that sort of kind of makes them collectible. And men like to collect stuff. <laughs> Do you find a lot of your customers buy a lot of your stuff? Or are they yeah, so well, happy to have a Parker? Um, well, a mixture, really. We've got, we've, we ha we're lucky to have returning customers um who might just buy uh, the same jacket every year um but in different cloths i mean so one guy might just buy our sb3 jacket which is like a semi-formal blazer and he might just buy that and maybe occasionally a shirt and he doesn't even look at the other stuff i uh, i guess or he buys it elsewhere from other suppliers um other guys buy you know scattergun approach and, and buy all sorts of bits and bobs uh, but the ambition for us is to make stuff that is so good that he the the a customer will want to come back and will want to try new things uh, that's our ambition we want to ensure everything is consistent in terms of its design in terms of its fit and its styling and its collectability uh so always when we're making something i think okay is this is this strong enough to justify as a designer i mean is it strong enough to, to justify sitting in between a trench coat which is as i said before is one of the things about which we're most proud is it is it going to be strong enough to be alongside the trench coat? Because if it's not, it's weak. It's not good enough, and it's not going to. We're not going to do it yet until it is strong enough. Um, so we, we we put pressure on ourselves to you know you're only as good as your, the last thing you made in a way. Um, we want that in, uh, internal. The, we want to keep the bar at a high level with everything, and nothing gets through unless it meets those criteria. I think it's safe to say that um, when looking through your website and looking at the the guys wearing your stuff. It's quite clear that if you do sort of go full Kelly, mm, mm. you will have a certain style and people will think of you as being very stylish. Uh, yeah, I hope so. I hope I hope so. I mean, I don't I, I wouldn't expect there are many people who wear our our clothing head to toe. Um, um, because people who get quite, quite precious about their brands. I mean, you, yeah, you have people who yeah. wear full on tender, full on SH yeah. Kelly. Uh, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. That's I mean that that's 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 incredibly rewarding. And it's 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 like a it's a type of it's it's flattering, isn't it? It's really gratifying that it's incredible to have someone stick around that long. And you know, I mean I I, I know that if we do set that 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 person we're talking about, if I send him a coat and it's actually not very good or it's it's not well made and it lets him down in some way then we've we've diminished the trust he has in our brand and he might think okay well maybe i've been a muggle these years buying from that brand because actually they're only as good as their last thing and that last thing shrunk in the wash uh, so i'll move elsewhere now that's always at the back of my mind also just as rewarding to be honest with you is the guy who doesn't care much about his clothes in a uh in a uh in the in the sense we're talking about and he buys one of our jackets and wears it alongside all the other stuff that he owns which might be from 20 other brands and that's just as rewarding because we've slotted into his life, we've met his criteria, we don't stand out, and we're just as good as anything else that he's bought, and we just, we've made him just as happy. 
Um, that's just as satisfying. I expect that's the hardest market to break into, guys who don't really care mm. that much. Yeah, yeah. I think instead, lot... instead of the guys who care too much. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. The, uh, often you can tell it's someone who might email me and say, "I want to. I just want a warm coat for winter." And I've I googled pea coats, and yours came up. How good is it in really cold weather or in really windy weather? And I can. That's great. That's and he's not. He's stumbled on a website. He might have just gone on that one page or two pages of the website. He doesn't know about our brand. He doesn't care about our brand, really. He just wants a good pea coat. And then that's a, such a good opportunity for me to tell him about the cloth that we use and about how it, it's made or how heavy it is or how heavy it might not be and how easy it is to layer with things he might wear, how wide the sleeves are, all that stuff. And it's it's, it's wonderful. It's really satisfying because, you know, it's it's nice to impart your knowledge um, and hopefully bring him on side and um, impress him when we do actually send him the coat, if he buys one, to to live up to the expectations that he's got. You don't know, this guy might have incredibly high expectations. He might be the sort of guy who scrutinises everything he buys and he, he might receive our coat and think, wow, yeah, I'm the right choice there. That's bloody brilliant for us, if that happens. I think there are quite a few people who think that men are becoming more conscious of what uh, what they buy and wear. I'm not totally sure myself, but uh, mm -hmm. it is it is interesting because there is a lot of interest to be found out there. Yeah, you start really looking into things. Yeah, it's much easier to for knowledge. Knowledge is much easier to come by now, isn't it? Um, really easy to come by now. So anyone within the space of a week can become an expert on bespoke tailoring if they read enough forums and if they read enough uh, articles online. They can be a, a leading expert on it, um, and they can ask you questions about how what, what, the weight of the fusible that you're using in your shirt collars. And I, I don't even know that. So I'll have to go and find out and say, oh, yeah, it's this it's this weight. And um, I don't think either of us know what we're talking about. But there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of, there is a ton of knowledge out there now. And there's obviously a lot of experts who are real experts who um, know all their stuff and, and um, they're happy to share it. And like we were saying before, a lot of mills and, and suppliers are online now. So a guy at home can, can learn all about the entire range of a, a mill in West Yorkshire. And know quite a lot about it and then yeah you go into his uh relationship with sh kelly armed with that knowledge and uh sometimes it can be a dangerous thing i suppose but you know it, it's probably a good thing overall it's you know having knowledge uh restricted to a few bespoke tailors as it might have been 50 years ago um and have a disparity there in, in knowledge between the customer and the professional probably isn't terribly good so it's probably it's probably a good thing um but obviously it has to be taken with a pinch of salt uh you mentioned forums i have noticed that you uh, yeah. patiently very patiently reply to all manner of questions on the, the style forum yeah it's great it's really good um it keeps me on my toes you know again it comes back to wanting to keep people uh, uh keep maintain people's respect in what you do and um being a good attentive servant to the public as much as you can it's it's great you get asked all sorts of questions and uh, sometimes it might be the same question you've answered last week but you can say it in a different way or maybe you can a new piece a new piece of information will come out of your uh new reply and then who knows what who else who else might read that and then you know um that might make them more confident in your brand so it's really good it's really good 
do you find you have a sort of tribe of people with a very nerdish inter interest in what you do? Um, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. Uh, it's really good. I mean, sometimes, I'll, I mean, I don't really think that people, you don't really, th you write things on, on the website or you write things for Instagram or tweets and you don't really think about people reading it, digesting it, and then saying it back to you in six months time and saying, hey, that cloth you were working on in January, what happened with that? That sounded really interesting. It's it's amazing. It's really gratifying. It's really good. Don't keep you on your toes because you don't want to uh, hype things up too much. You don't want to, mm, yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible. It's, it, it, it's great, really, because it's snowballed over the years. And, you know, you start off and you just hope any single one person will find interest in what you do. And they do. And you're lucky that they do. And then two people do. And it snowballs. And I don't really think about it so much anymore. Um, but when we uh, occasionally have done events, um, little, uh, we did a, a, a kind of a, an installation or a pop-up shop in a, in a furniture shop in London about four or five years ago. Um, and we've done a few bits and bobs like shopping shops or pop-up shops in Japan. And they'll have shopping evenings, so I'll be there as sort of a, not the host, but as the as the guy in the middle of the shop that people will come up and talk to. And it's amazing what they know about you and what you've done in your life and your philosophy on design and things. It's incredible. It's amazing, really. It's it's like pinch yourself stuff. It's great. It's quite strange when uh, when even clothes guys sort of become celebrities. Yeah, in a certain uh, way. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? It's funny. Um, anyone, <laughs> any, anyone can be a celebrity these days, can't they? I suppose. I mean, all these uh, vloggers and bloggers and TikTokers and all that. It's incredible what people will latch on to. You must be doing something that interests them or want them to check back the next day. Um, and, all, and all power to the people that do it. I suppose you keep people entertained and you you give them something to look forward to every day or to think about and. Um, no, it's great. It's 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 really it's really amazing. I wanted to uh, ask you or talk a bit about sustainability. Yeah, yeah. Big big word, much spoken these days. Yeah. Does it have any sort of meaning for what you're doing? Um, I feel sometimes a bit. Uh, I have to correct myself sometimes because I feel a bit like um, like I'm getting old. Like I'm a bit, I'm a, I think naturally I'm a bit of a sort of cynic and a bit of a skeptic. So when new words come along, I sometimes have to think, Paul, don't don't be a grumpy old man. Embrace it. Um, so in things like sustainability, um, you, I hear more and more. I'm a bit of a fly on the wall. I spend a lot of time in factories, so I see a lot of brands come and go, other brands come and go, and other designers come and go. Maybe they're they can be anything from a graduate who's just doing their first collection out of university, um, or it can be someone who's representing a, a huge brand. Um, and in the past, I'd say four years, five years, sustainability has become increasingly um, hot topic. So whether that's a big brand coming in and wanting to do an audit on the factory to see how sustainable their business practices are, which happens almost every time now if a big brand comes in to, you know, see if the supplier they want this, this supplier is, is the one for them or um it's a designer who's come out of saint martin's who their entire collection is made of uh, upcycled um cloth or naturally dyed cloth um it's it, it is it's 
you often don't it seems like a lot of these companies now don't do anything without considering that um and again it makes me feel like a grumpy old man because i think well the most sustainable thing you could do would be to walk out the door and not make anything uh but again i don't want to be that guy Nick. i really don't want to be that guy so i try and embrace it and uh take it for the 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 uh for the good nature in which it's intended i think it's it can't it's not a bad thing is it it's, it's a really good thing um i wonder how much of it is a fashion trend and how much of it really is a a what a, a bigger sort of cultural attitude trend um but it's not a bad thing i think we've always i suppose been inadvertently sustainable in our local production and in the use of natural fibers and um make not making huge quantities of things but that's inadvertent as well because you know we're going to make small numbers of things because we only sell small numbers of things uh but in our own way i suppose it's sustainable but it's never been i've never been conscious of it at all um it's it's, it's not on my radar in that sense i think that's a good honest answer paul because mm. i think you're onto something when you suggest that it may be a fashionable thing now and it plays into the slow fashion thing as well mm. and it is sort of like a trending hashtag mm. and yeah I, I i worry a bit because it has also made a lot of companies start being rather dishonest about what they do because they are so desperate to be seen as sustainable yeah that's true that's true um again i'm, I'm, I'm a bit out of my depth talking about it because it's not something i really think about i don't um really think about it as a consumer apart from again going back to just generally i, I tend to buy things that are long lasting and well made and are na natural to an extent um but i'm not really one for recycled cloth or um vintage things so much i'm just i never have been i've always quite like new things um but hopefully you know it can't if it's good for the environment and it's good for people's uh working conditions then how could i how could i possibly be against that and how what, who am i to be cynical about it really because again i'm not i'm not really knowledgeable of it and a lot of these students who come out of these universities uh they're not they're not morons that there's some belief in that and they've got the best of intentions and they'll, they'll probably make the world a slightly better place but you're right it can be like anything like anything it can be used it can be uh it can be used as a marketing tool and it, i'm sure it is um it's the same with um, things made in england i suppose um that when we started um that was on the up and it sort of crescendoed or we reached sort of peak made in england or made in uk maybe five years ago and it's it's died off a little bit now as sustainable as as has come up uh, but even at the time you know we me and sarah would say They've got some bloody nerve talking about made in England. All their ninety-nine percent of their stuff's made in China, and they're doing one percent of their stuff now in this factory. And they're going on about it and making adverts about it. And how dare they? But you know, again, it's not a bad thing. They're making one percent here. It's better than zero percent. So I don't know. It's a murky one, isn't it, Nick? <laughs> Paul, have you always been a grumpy old man? Oh, probably probably it's, it's generally served me quite well I probably i don't know i'm just a grumpy bloke in a cold <laughs> workshop <laughs> talking to another grumpy bloke in a cold workshop <laughs> so who am i to espouse anything about the truth of the world 
Well, I mean, grumpy old men of a certain age do have opinions on everything. Yeah, and when I do, if I do speak to a des another designer who's doing a sustainable approach, it's bloody great. I mean, it's incredible. It's another creative opportunity for them. I mean, there's a there's um there's a girl, well, there's a, a a girl at the moment who's often I see at the factory, and she has spent the past month, I would say, or maybe a bit less than that, unpicking old jeans which look quite well made, so it's no mean feat. Unpicking old jeans that are from a vintage shop, or maybe they're from a scrapyard, I don't know, and making new things with them. That, you know, all power to it. That's creative and it's interesting. And it's the first thing, it's the first time I've seen anyone doing that. And uh, that's just as good, if not better, than buying new cloth and making things with it. So, yeah, make, make an interesting thing that hopefully someone will treasure. I mean, Hopefully, like we said, um, it's a it's a longer term thing, and it's not just another fashion trend. But there's a, the, the truth will be somewhere in between. I would have thought it must at least double the cost of whatever she's making. <laughs> well, she's doing it all herself, the poor girl. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Although you know, she's not she's not spending money on new cloth, so which can be a barrier to entry for a lot of new designers. So there's that as well. Um, you know, it's it's, a, it's an easy way to get in because you can use dead stock cloth, which is you know, cloth probably that's just a factory wastage effectively that would otherwise be binned. I see some designers going around and saying to factories, "Have you got any dead stock cloth?" Which in the old days was called cabbage, and um, the, the the mill will say, uh, "Sorry, the factory will say, yeah, we've got some. You know, if you want to have a pick through the the stock room, have a look. By all means, it's all going to go to waste anyway." No bad thing, Nick. And probably for a young yeah. designer, it's an easy way to get started. I find dead stock can sort of go both ways. I mean, on the one hand, yes, it's something that wouldn't otherwise have been used. On the other hand, though, it might be not been used because it wasn't actually very good. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But you can make, what's the old saying? I make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Who knows? The saying is you can't, isn't it? <laughs> oh, hang on. Oh, <laughs> well, they're out to prove this. They're out to prove us wrong, then. All power yeah. Now, sort of in closing, there used to be a, a saying of buy well, buy once, which sort mm. of in later years has morphed into uh, buy better, buy less. Mm. What, what, what do you think about that? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's anyone, isn't it? It's. Uh... There's a something of a logical fallacy of a fashion designer or a person that makes clothes regularly and often and tries to sell them, saying to people, don't buy as much. It seems a bit uh, hypocritical. But um, we try to, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I the things that I treasure personally and that I want from my own clothing is really strong, well-made stuff that I can improve myself of age by having it uh develop a patina or develop creases or get scuffs i love all that i think it's great it's really satisfying to look at the starting point of a, a garment um and it's and what it comes to look like in 10 years so i've got old shoes and things and i treasure them as much more today than i did when they were new and when we whenever we make something you want it to stand that test of time um in terms of how strongly it's made and how it Oh, it's cut so that it will it won't break it won't tear you've got no weak points and if you have got weak points that they're very well reinforced um so absolutely people should because otherwise 
if you, if you, I don't know, fashion to clothes, buying clothes today, I think for a lot of people is a type of entertainment or a pastime. So they'll go to the shops every Saturday and they'll buy five new things. And a week, a week later, they'll buy five new things. And it's, it's entertainment. It's, a, it's almost like as natural or as, as much of a pastime as buying a coffee and drinking it. Um, to the idea of buying a pair of shoes that you're going to keep for 50 years and get resold at the cost of that costs the same amount of the shoes in the first place would be absolute madness. But to me, that's the most satisfying way to consume something. Um, we're all different, but for me, that's that's what I like, and that's our objective as a brand. Um, mm. I'm sure you're the. I'm sure. I, I, I imagine you're you're much the same, Nick. And um, you want the stuff that you can treasure for a long time, and you don't have to. I do. You know, yeah. You won't look back, yeah, you won't look back on in in five years and say, oh, "God, what was I wearing?" So there's a design aspect to it as well, a style aspect. You want to, you know, you want to be it for the long run. I think. I do worry though, because it is easy to get hooked on the good stuff. <laughs> and I, I see this happens a lot around when people start gaining an interest. And while it would be nice to say buy a pair of shoes that will last you 40 years, say, mm. you sort of realize that, well, that week they bought that pair. A couple of mm. weeks later, they're back to buy another pair that will last them 40 years. Yeah. And that's true. On that's it goes. True. Yeah, that's true. I mean, people, especially men, I think, they like to collect stuff. We like to collect stuff, whether it's shoes, watches, jackets, stamps, toys, music, albums. We, we seem to like to collect things. So I think that is our nature for some strange reason. It probably goes back to the times when we were swinging from trees. Uh, so that's in our nature. But um, also, I mean, uh, we something that lasts and that is well made, it doesn't have to be something expensive. If you're armed with knowledge about how – let's talk about shoes – if you're armed with the knowledge of how a, a sole or a welt should be attached to the to the upper, whatever it may be, or you 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 have a bit of knowledge about different types of leather and different cuts of leather and what will what's thicker than others and what's more supple, and you can go into a, a more high streety type shop with that knowledge, you can buy something that will last you a long time, especially if you look after it, or a jacket. You, you know, you, you can um, so some knowledge can go a long way. It doesn't have to be a pair of Northampton made shoes or or whatever you can maybe buy a, a really good quality pair of shoes for i don't know i'm get I'm, I'm talking out my backside a little bit here because i don't experience this myself but i imagine you could buy a, a very good pair of shoes for 200 quid so long as you looked after them well and you know um to good care you, you shopped very carefully which is what we should all do depends what you're expecting i think um mm -hmm. because a lot of people find that they buy a pair of shoes every year for 100 pounds and they expect them to last just about a year. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's it, isn't it? Everyone's got different expectations of things, like you said. Um, and who, who's to say what's right? In closing, Paul, is there anything you'd like to mention? Any upcoming um, hot new uh, fashion items well, from Kelly? Well, <laughs> we're having a really good week, actually. Uh, like a couple of weeks. Just is, we're on a little. Uh, just there's lots of little. Not little, but good projects on the go. So uh, you mentioned Star Forum. So right now we are doing a little project with Star Forum, sort of a, uh, what do you call it, like a, not crowdsource, I don't know what the prevailing term is, but uh, yeah, I say crowdsourcing coat. So we are, hopefully by September, we will have designed a coat with the um, community on Star Forum. 
um, which is exciting. So we're, we're planning that now and choosing cloth. So I'm presenting cloth from uh, County Donegal. So it's a nice Donegal tweed or selection tweed at the moment. And the, the forum are saying what they like, what they don't like. So that's been fun. And that puts me out of my, my, my sort of comfort zone a little bit because I'm not used to designing by committee in that sense. We're also working with a weaver in Scotland on some uh, really heavy tweed that's going to be woven with the yarn of Herdwick sheep, which are uh, very gnarly, tough sheep that are native to Lancashire. Um, so, uh, so that's going to be fun as well. So that's in the early stages. But like I was sort of saying before, she's sending me swatches of cloth to look at at the moment. So that's super exciting. And also it's really good because lots of people who have been off work for about a year because of COVID uh, or, you know, precautions because of COVID are coming back to work because they've had their jabs. So lots of like 70-year-olds and 80-year-olds that help me, uh, help me to develop coats especially, but also impart their advice in all sorts of other ways are coming back because they've had their jabs. So that's super exciting. So this week I, I uh, what's the word, I hooked back up with an 84-year-old wonder child and we're developing a new coat which is going to be long and heavy and have lots of silly pockets well not lot lots of uh yeah interesting features so really it's been a really good couple of weeks and you might ask me that I was like, yeah everything's fine and normal and good and it's ticking over but it has been a, <laughs> a notable the past couple of weeks by the fun little projects we're doing okay paul thanks a lot for your time and uh, i hope to see you soon yeah um it's been great nick thanks for your time and your interest and your, your good questions it's been a bit of a therapy session for me i spent a lot of time talking to myself uh in the workshop so it's good to have someone on the other end this time cheers thanks very much bye bye and that concludes this week's episode of gomology a podcast about clothes and stuff Huge thanks to Paul from SEH Kelly for being my guest this week. You can find um, SEH Kelly on the web as sehkally.com and uh, the same on Instagram. If you'd like to get in touch with me, uh, you can send email to gomology at welldresseddad.com. You might also enjoy my blog at welldresseddad.com and you can follow me on Instagram as welldresseddad. If you're interested in sponsoring Gomology, please do get in touch. It would be uh, a great help to cover the costs of making the podcast. And uh, see you again next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>